Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. My name is Ian Cheeseman and this is a Manchester City podcast, although it's also a football podcast. And we're delighted to have your company uh, wherever you are in the world, because I know there are people who listen to us in Australia, in India, in America and in Manchester as well. So all over the place and really appreciate you taking the time out to listen. We're a day later than normal. We normally record on a Sunday evening, but because City were at Fulham on Sunday, uh, then I was travelling back from Fulham, so therefore we've postponed it by a day and we will return to the usual time for next week's edition, which is after the Leeds game. As ever, I have some great guests lined up today and we will talk a little bit later on about some of the issues that I know City fans are concerned about because my attention has been drawn to them. And uh, next week, we're considering doing a special programme a lot more focused on that sort of thing, i.e. the new North Stand, ticket prices going up, all that type of thing, which we will touch on it later in this edition of the podcast, but not in massive depth. Um, but we will consider doing that next week. Um, so uh, we have... Uh, a lineup, a plethora, shall we say, of guests this week. Uh, just before I introduce them, uh, let me thank Howard Solicitors, who sponsor the podcast. They're in Ashton, Stockport, and Cheshire. They specialise in all sorts of stuff, including criminal defence law, motoring offences, and offer legal aid at the police station and the courts. They're open 24 hours. They're always available to answer your call or turn out to the police station to represent you. If you give them a call, if you're facing any type of police prosecution on 0161 872 double nine double nine or you can email howard law at howardsolicitors.com or visit their website and although uh, a lot of people are listening from outside the area if you do have difficulties have a look at the website or give them a call and especially if you mention the forever blue podcast i'm sure at the very least they'll do is give you some advice and point you in the right direction even if they can't specifically help you so who we got on the podcast today? <clears throat> First of all, we've got three members of the uh, Forever Blue podcast team. They are Toby, Stephen and Louisa. Louisa is a hard one to pin down because she's so involved these days in uh, Formula One, Formula Two and doing her own podcasting that it's always a joy to have Louisa with us. Um, Toby and Stephen are much more regular, uh, but also equally valued. But our special guest today is a former first team coach of City, um, who was there under Sven Joran Eriksson, and I'm sure we can explore um, the time that he was there in Derek Fazakli, who uh, is such a lovely fella that it's nice to have nice people on the podcast. So um, a big hero, by the way, at Blackburn Rovers as well, you know, legend really of Blackburn Rovers. So great to have you, Derek. Um, let's start with you. Um, what are your happy memories of being at Manchester City then? You, were, you always seem to me to be a very popular man behind the scenes. Uh, well, obviously, from the early days of uh, championship football and winning the, the championship in our first season when I was with Kevin there, and then obviously the move from Main Road into the new stadium, which was a massive event, of course, and uh, then obviously, you know, Champions League, uh, champion, uh, Premier League football, uh, and having the opportunity to, to play in Europe as well. So, yeah, um, great times, great times. Uh, I think it's fair to say that you were there as the club started to become what it is today. You know, you were one of the the ones who laid the foundations. Is, did you feel like you were doing that at the time? Well, I don't think anybody could have thought at the, the time that I left the club that, you know, they would go on and do what they'd gone on to achieve uh, with the present owners. Of course, when I was there and uh, at the time I left, 
the club was still under the ownership of Taxi and Shinawatra. And of course, you know, things were a little bit uh, tighter regarding finance and stuff in those days. And, and certainly we spent a little bit of money on players. There's no doubt about that when Sven came into the club, but uh, it didn't last very long. And then, of course, soon after that, uh, he sold it to the present owners. And of course, from then on, it's just snowballed. It's grown and grown and it, uh, they've done some fantastic things. Absolutely no doubt about it. Yeah. Could you sense when when taxing came in, as we can look back now with hindsight and say it was sort of a bit built on sand, you know, it was used, seemed to me to be using the club as a as a political um, entity, shall we say. Could you detect that at the time or were you just focused on the football? Well, we were just focused on the football, really, but very, very early in his reign as chairman, I think that uh, it might have been the second month's payroll, maybe the August or something like that. And there was a rumour flying around that there wasn't enough money in the bank to cover the salaries that month. And I think he asked the old chairman for a loan to uh, help. But of course, he's, uh, he had a problem at, at the time. And I think um, getting his money released from wherever it was, whether it was in Thailand or the Middle East or somewhere like that, uh, and... Uh, I remember us having a player at the training ground for over a week, uh, played in Italy, uh, an Australian lad, and we couldn't raise the uh, transfer fee for him. And of course, eventually the lad had to go back. So certainly it wasn't a smooth passage. There's no doubt about that. But obviously there were players coming in that uh, enhanced the club and and, uh, you know, and gave, gave great entertainment. And, and particularly that season with Sven, we set off very, very well indeed. But... Uh, when you needed to add add to it again at um, uh, the January transfer window, there was there was no money available, and so it was difficult to maintain the start that we, you know, obviously had. Did you meet Saxon? I mean, did you have much interaction with him? Uh, not a great deal, no. But we did we did meet him. He came over. He was over once uh, because he was here, for, I think, for the end of season uh, dinner, um, uh, and then. It caused a little bit of a, a fracas with some of the players. We were invited out to Thailand and to Hong Kong to play a couple of games. And of course, for players who played a long season, it was something that they weren't keen to do. And uh, a few, I think it's not so sure it was the Euros or the World Cup in that summer. Of course, the players who um, were selected for the countries were allowed to uh, take a couple of weeks holiday. So they didn't have to go on the trip sort of thing, you know. But what it did do, of course, it gave an opportunity to one or two of the younger players. And we took the likes of Ben Mee, um, um, uh, who else? I think there was three of three of the younger boys going. Uh, when, and so, so from that respect, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a good opportunity to have a look at one or two of the younger players. But it did... Uh, Rub up one or two of the one or two of the senior players, of course. Sven was very popular. I mean, I remember in my sort of uh, time there reporting on the march that they did, that the fans did um, yeah. at the, right at the very very end of the season. Uh, and he was always very charismatic, Sven, and very very popular. What was he like as a to work with as a coach? Uh, an excellent man, you know. He, he was as good as he, he appeared to be, you know, when he came across, very polite. Uh, you knew what he wanted. He delegated well. Um, and working with him was, was you know, a, a pleasure, really, um, because he was the sort of man who 
whether it was good, bad or indifferent in terms of results and stuff like that, he never let his emotions get carried away with him. Some people have said that uh, maybe he was a little bit uh, uh, too quiet at times and, 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 and didn't uh, stamp his authority. But from a personal point of view of knowing him and working with him, it, no, it was excellent, excellent. Quite a contrast, I would have thought, to Kevin Keegan. Yeah, I mean, Kevin could be a little bit uh, lively at times, and of course, uh, but like Sven, knew what he wanted, uh, delegated well, allowed us to get on with our jobs and stuff like that. But of course, Kevin could be a little bit more vociferous and a little bit more emotional about the game, and uh, and certainly at times, uh, you would know it as well, yeah. Who were the players you liked working with, Derek? Who were the ones that, you know, really gave you the that feeling of satisfaction when you saw what they were doing? Well, we had a handful of players that were all capable of playing uh, Premier League football, but I think the two that probably come to mind straight away are uh, Ali Benabia and uh, um, uh, the other midfield player. Uh, Ayo Berkovic. Ayo uh, Berkovic, yeah. I mean, they were two fantastic players. And I remember saying to Kevin one week, I said, Kevin, I said, we'll get run over this week. I said, you can't play those two in the team. I said, they're not, can't tackle a fish, shook, a fish supper, you know. And, and, and of course, if I said something like that to Kevin, he, he would want to prove me wrong. And of course he did, you know, because he played them. And from the time they came together, the, the opposition couldn't get the ball off us. And of course, we went on to score a phenomenal amount of goals that season and won the championship and, uh, you know, returned to the Premier League. And uh, uh, those two were, were obviously outstanding players. But, you know, with Sean Golter, you know, John Macken, yeah. The players in the team at the time, Richard Dunn, uh, they were all good pros, good, good, good players, uh, outstanding ability and certainly capable of playing well above championship football, which most of them did the following year when we were in the Premier League. You were in a unique position uh, as being part of the club when it moved from Main Road to the to the new stadium. Uh, did it feel as significant as it's turned out to be now? Because I can't help thinking that that transition over to the old Commonwealth Stadium was what drew tax in Shinawatra in and ultimately made the transition then to the Sheikh so much more attractive and so easy, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, whoever did the deal for, um, you know, Getting the uh, uh, the Etihad as it is now called, um, but but also the improvements to it since then um, did a fantastic job for the club, you know. And I know with some supporters at that particular time it wasn't universally popular, but I think uh, when you look back now and the sort of uh, costs there are for building new stadiums and stuff like that, and for what they got that for, it was an absolute snip. And of course, as I say, they've gone on to develop it even more and the whole complex now around there is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I bumped into you at the uh, training ground the, the other week watching an under-21 game and you see the way the club's progress and I don't think it could have done if it had been still in that main road. Uh, I think it would have been a lot more difficult, that, that is for sure, like you said, to attract the type of people who were interested in buying the club. I think the stadium had a big, big pull uh, in bringing those people together. Well, before we talk about contemporary issues and I bring the other gang, less of the gang in, um, the ending to um, Sven's time, and, and I guess that was pretty much the ending of your time at City, was just after that notorious 8-1 defeat at Middlesbrough. 
and by then it would appear that Sven knew he was going. What, what was it like behind the scenes at, at that particular time? I mean, you mentioned going on to, to Thailand on an end of season tour and, and it, it felt to me as if that was, um, you know, just being used really by, by taxing to, to, for his own purposes and felt very cruel to the staff that were forced to go on that trip. Can you remember that whole era and what it was like? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a difficult time because obviously the rumours were flying around that Sven wasn't going to be there the next season. I'd spoken to him once or twice about it. He, you know, he said that uh, he'd lost a lot of respect for taxing and the way that he'd been treated and stuff like that. And then, of course, you know, we ended up going to um, Middlesbrough uh, and I think we had to have a meeting uh, on the Thursday, I think it was, before we went to Middlesbrough and the chief executive, Chief Executive uh, Alistair MacDonald had to come in and explain the reason for the trip and there was general disgruntlement amongst the players and stuff like that and of course that uh, manifested itself in the game on the Saturday against Middlesbrough and that wasn't helped of course with with Richard Dunn getting sent off and I I didn't know at the time I'm watching the game and I thought Dunny's done that on purpose <laughs> he, he's got sent off on purpose you know and uh, uh, I looked back at it afterwards and of course it was complete accident the lads just clipped his heel he's been running past him and, and he went down and uh, he got a red card and of course but it just seemed to be a combination of all the things that were going on at the time and everything going wrong at uh, the same time and of course uh, the result followed and of course that was pretty much the end for Sven he knew that we knew we still had to uh, uh, commit to the um uh, trip to Thailand uh, and play the game and he just said to me on the bus going back he said uh, Derek he said let's go and enjoy ourselves <laughs> and that was Sven and, and and that's what we did you know we went we uh, played two games we had three or four days in Thailand a couple of days in uh, Hong Kong two fantastic places to visit a couple of games of football an opportunity to give one or two of the younger players um a taste of first team football and then when we came back of course the official announcement that uh, Sven had left and then that I was you know soon to follow. So when you look back on your time at City as I said before you're a Blackburn Rovers legend and you've been around the game a long time do you look back fondly on your time at City? Oh yeah yeah definitely yeah I mean it, it's bad. It was a fantastic club. It is a fantastic club. You know, I mean, the support that they have and everything, it's, 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 it's incredible. And of course, what they've gone on to achieve since I left with the new ownership that they have there now with the Sheikh and, and, and the people that they've uh, brought into the club and the success they've had, it's been brilliant. But uh, to be part of the journey um, when I was there was good because, yeah, they slipped back into the uh, championship. We managed to get... Uh, Championship title, um, had a very good season, I think in that season, in the time that I was there, because I joined in around about the October time, I think late September, early October, um, partway through the season, I think we only lost three games between then and the end of the season, um, I, th I, th I think one of those was at Stockport County, one, I think, if I remember, <laughs> um, and then the next season, you know, obviously to uh, sort of cement your place in the Premier League, which I think when you look back, it's a lot, it was a lot easier to do then than it is to do now. You know, I think you need a lot more money now than what you did. But uh, yeah, I mean, we signed a couple of players, the likes of Anelka and people like that. Uh, Didi Haman uh, joined as well. So, no, it was uh, um, a great time, you know. Um, 
And of course, there were tough times as well when we, we you know, we didn't have the uh, transfer budget of some of the other clubs, but uh, we managed to hold our own and uh, and and provide some entertainment. And of course, one of the games I remember most was uh, against Middlesbrough again. I think. Um, Last game of the season, Robbie Fowler missing a penalty in the last minute. And had we scored the penalty, we would have qualified for Europe. And as we missed the penalty, Middlesbrough qualified instead of us. So there's uh, games like that that you always refer back to, you know, and uh, the, the small margins that, uh, you know, you missed out on things uh, in. But uh, no, great time. Loved, uh, loved the club, the people in the club as well, and the way that the club's run in terms of the work they do in the community and stuff like that. No, it's fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being part of it, Derek. Uh, I'm certainly value what you did and and uh, how how you helped us to get to where we are. Um, now, I know Louise has uh, got got a question. So, um, Louisa, Derek is all yours. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. It's, it's a bit long winded, so so stick with it. Um, wow. but, um, not, nice to see you, Derek. Um, and and obviously, congratulations on your career and that Hall of Fame at Blackburn. Thank um, you. So you've mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, when Manchester City didn't have enough money in the bank. And I actually wanted to ask you about Bury, where you spent your last playing days in the English leagues. And, yeah. you know, they've had a lot of very intricate financial issues that contributed to the demise of the club. But there's still hope for them to make a comeback. And I'm not sure how aware you are or how up to date you might be. But this Friday, there's a, a second merger vote happening to see if they can pull things together between sort of the, the two different sides that, that have not quite seen eye to eye for a number of years. Um, and, and so if you have sort of been keeping keeping tabs, I'd like to sort of hear your views, but mostly, I uh, just wondered as a former player, how important to the football community and the local community uh, for a club such as Barry to return to men's professional football? No, I, I think it's uh, fantastic that they're even starting to talk. Now, I do know a little bit about it, not, not, not really in depth, but I was aware that there were two sort of... Um, uh, Competing is the word you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, trying to uh, come to some sort of agreement where they could uh, come together again and sort of be as one. Um, I didn't know that there was a vote this coming week, um, but obviously, if they did vote and they did decide to come together, that would be fantastic for the town because then everybody would start to pull in the right direction. And to make a successful football club, has everybody has to go in that same, you know pulling in the same direction. So hopefully for Berry, um, that will happen and, and and give the town something to be proud of again, the identity that it gives the town and stuff like that. You know, I mean, it, it, it's fantastic. So, I mean, I do a little bit of work with Oxford now um, and we were down at a place called Forest Green, uh, um, Forest Green Rovers this this last weekend. and and. You know, the, the, the amount of people that you see there, it's in the middle of nowhere. You think it's wonderful to have a, a football club that's sort of associated with a place that's, uh, well, it's, it's a, a tourist attraction, really, you know. Um, and, and, and certainly a place like Bury. And I know the, the competition's very stiff in this part, in these parts of the world, you know, with the number of clubs there are. But towns like Bury should be represented in the Football League wherever possible. 
I'm sure, Steve, particularly your memories of what, what Derek was talking about through the Sven era and, and all the rest of it were flooding back. This, you'd have been at Middlesbrough, I'm guessing, that day, Steve, when City lost 8-1. To be honest with you, I did actually miss that game. Along with the players, yeah. I think we, were on, we must have been on the same trip. Yeah. But I, what I would say to Derek, and thanks to him and Kevin for the, the 2001 2 season, which was highly entertaining. And I didn't miss many games that season, but the football was fantastic. And like you say, Berkovic, Ali Benabia, people like Kevin Orlock, who did the donkey work for them yeah. lads, and one chop and gold to up front. Uh, a couple of games that season was uh, Norwich at home when we were down to 10 men and still beat on 3-1, which was a tight game at the time. Burnley, when they came to us at Christmas time, top of the league, and we were 4-0 up at half-time. That, that, that football at the time was absolutely fantastic to watch, and it was, it was a great season, home and away. But what I would ask you one question is, is the last game of the season, and... We're in the last minute and Stuart Pearce needs one more goal to reach 100 yeah. and misses yeah. a penalty. Yeah. And I, yeah. I'm not convinced he didn't miss that penalty on purpose. <laughs> well, I was amazed. I mean, like everybody else as well, because he's sort of told the goalkeeper or the goalkeeper's told him which way to put it because he's told him <laughs> to dive that way, you put it that way, but still managed to miss the target. So, <laughs> I don't know, but... Uh, no, it's incredible that uh, he, you know, he obviously strode up, wanted to take the penalty, aware of the situation in terms of the number of goals he's had, and completely flushed his lines and <laughs> smacks over the bar. But yeah, amazing, really amazing. That, that could only be the way Stuart Pearce would end his uh, his footballing career. But uh, what a yeah. character he is! Let's bring it up to date then now, and let's talk about the city of of today. I mean, obviously, since the last podcast. Um, City have beaten Arsenal very convincingly at the Etihad and look to now be on the way to winning the Premier League title. Uh, another victory at Fulham yesterday, slightly more patchy in some places, but obviously no Kevin De Bruyne and no Bernardo Silva in the starting lineup. Not spoke to Toby yet, so let's uh, get your view on that, Toby. I mean, I presume you were down there at uh, Craven Cottage. So, what what did you what do you make of? City's last week and and uh, whether whether where they are at the moment. Yeah, I think um, going into the week we we had that absolute crunch game, um, and and everyone sort of put the the onus on that is going to be the game that that will decide the Premier League. Um, I, I said going into it that if we won it, then we we have got likely of going to win the league. I'm not going to say anything just yet. Um, I'm obviously very hopeful now, but I, I said that if if Arsenal were to beat us, I still think that I don't think it would be done if Arsenal had beaten us. But um, I want to start there, to be honest, because I, I will come on to the Fulham game. But um, that is possibly one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen at the um, at the stadium at the Etihad uh, on Wednesday. Maybe apart from Liverpool, um, when in the season that we were um, going point for point with them when we beat them two one. Uh, and and the performance was just incredible. I mean, if, if you want a big game player and if you want a big game player for the ages that, that in terms of City, Kevin De Bruyne, every, I cannot name a, a big game. He, he hasn't turned up and he was just amazing. And him and Haaland are, uh, are um, forming a partnership now, which is hopefully going to last quite a few years. Um, obviously, De Bruyne being a bit older than Haaland, it obviously puts a little bit of onus on that. It was, almost reminds me a little bit of, um, of Kane and Son for... For, uh, for Tottenham, I mean, we win a lot more than Tottenham, but, you know, that's that's a different issue. Um, but um, 
yeah, I mean, Haaland's now getting in with the assists as well, which is great. It's great to see that partnership. Uh, and they work so fluently together. I mean, it could have been it could have been five by half time on Wednesday. So and, and yeah, we, we were just exceptional. Um, the atmosphere was great. I think that pushed us on. Um, you sort of get a little bit worried about 40 minutes when we're one nil up. We've missed a few chances and it's like, well, we've left the door slightly open for Arsenal. But no, I mean, John, John Stones has been in exceptional form. He's playing as a central defensive midfielder and we signed him as a centre back. He's played at right back. Now he's playing as a CDM with a like, sort of hybrid inverted fullback role. I mean, incredible. I, I, I couldn't name a bad performance on Wednesday. It was brilliant. Um, so, yeah, very happy with that. Um, and we, we rocked up and then obviously had yesterday's well. I heard that De Bruyne was was injured, has picked up some sort of knock. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I don't know if anyone else knows any info about that. But yeah, I heard he got some sort of knock. That's why he wasn't there yesterday. And obviously no Bernardo. It takes the creativity and the fluency out of the team a little bit. But even then we're able to pick out results. And I mean, I've got to say that the one that, that stood out for me yesterday was excuse me, Alvarez. Uh, he was amazing. And to think we picked up. Parland and Alvarez in the same transfer window for about 65, 70 million is just beyond me. I mean, they're both amazing, amazing players. When Haaland's not there, by the way, 50 goals, what an achievement. Um, and I'll come on to that in a minute. But um, when, when Haaland's not there, I mean, he was there, but when he's not there, Alvarez has had eight starts in the Premier League, got eight goals, 14 in all competitions. It's just amazing to think we've got, and it just goes to credit the depth that we've got. Um, and then obviously Haaland slotting away the penalty, get, getting um, getting his 50th goal and, and 34th in the Premier League, if I'm right in saying, which is, it's, it's just amazing. It, it, it doesn't just go to credit on him. It, it actually goes to credit on the whole team because it shows that this, this team we've had for the last two years, that's had no striker, that's had no focal point. We put a striker in there. We've had that sort of six weeks of the season where everyone was a little bit like we, we had the start of the season where he scored loads of goals. And then we had six weeks sort of in between the World Cup, a um, little bit before and after the World Cup, where everyone was, Harlem was, you know, we weren't playing quite as fluently. Harlem wasn't picking up as many goals. I mean, one goal a week he was getting. I mean, that's that's not as many goals, is it, um, for him? Um, and everyone was going, well, Man City play worse than that. And, but now... Pep's in the last sort of six, seven weeks, he's switched something. He's he's now playing this back three. John Stones as, as a defensive midfielder, and it's just clicked. And the 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 defense is playing so much better with Diaz back as well. Uh, and then yesterday, yeah, we won. I mean, saying all this, compliment complimenting the team. We weren't at our best yesterday, but still got the three points. That's what's important. Great goal from Alvarez. I think there's the there's the picture, isn't there, where um, Aguero um, 12 years ago was in the the blue and red, the blue and red, the the um, red and black kit, and scored at Craven Cottage. And then there's obviously Alvarez, who's the 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 new Argentinian uh, in the same kit, scoring. So yeah, just amazing. I've got to ask you, Derek, then about a couple of things. Though, first of all, Harland, how good is he? I mean, you will have watched Shearer. Um, you know, particularly when he was at Blackburn Rovers, but obviously went on to superstardom at Newcastle. He's the Premier League's top scorer. Great. It, it is Haaland. This is the first season. It's hard to believe that, the first season in the Premier League. But can he go on to be Alan Shearer, but better than Alan Shearer? Is he that good? Well, the evidence would suggest that he is, yeah. I mean, the goals he gets are phenomenal. You look at his physical... Uh, capabilities, uh, you know, his physique, his pace, his strength, and some of the positions that he gets his goals from in terms of the body positions he gets into for such a big man's incredible. You know, he's, uh, 
he's, he's, he's obviously played in a very, very good side that creates a lot of chances, but he takes a fair percentage of them, which is, which is great credit to him as well, you know. And uh, I think he's had to adapt a little bit playing for City because probably they don't use a centre-forward as much as some of what the other teams do. And he's there just to provide the finishing touch when eventually all the passes come together, the ball ends up in the penalty, in the penalty area. And when it ends up in the penalty area, Nine times out of ten, he's on the end of it. And six times out of ten, he's probably scoring the goals, you know. You rarely see him miss a sitter or anything like that. I can never turn around and say, well, Harlan should have scored or he should have done this. He should. Nine times out of ten, he's successful in what he tries to do. And, of course, with all the other attributes he's got, as I've said, with his physicality, his pace, um, you can only see him going better and better and better. I mean, he's, he's, how old is he? He's only about 22. 22, 22, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but as a striker, he won't mature for another three or four years. So uh, if he's still around at City in another three or four years, you've got some great football to see coming up, that's for sure. I was a big, big fan of Kevin Keegan, the manager, and I grew up watching Malcolm Allison, who was very inventive and, and a fantastic coach. Uh, you know, and now we've got Pep Guardiola. Um, and... He was asked quite a bit the other day when he was uh, at the press conference about his legacy and you know, whether how important his legacy was to him. And he was really philosophical in how he ans answered. And he and he sort of said things like, um, you know, when I'm gone, no, when, when when anybody goes, when people are not around anymore, um, you know, they're soon forgotten apart from their close friends and relatives. Um, and, and I get what he says. But he must care about his legacy and he must care about what he's doing. And people have said that he's changed the game. You're yeah. a coach. You know, you work with Kevin Keegan. You've worked with great people in your career and you yourself are a great coach. What is it about Pep? Is, is he that good? I mean, do you, is, is it the best there's ever been or one of the best there's ever been? I think it's very, very difficult to sort of, you know, put them on a... Uh, a pedestal and, and sort of compare them with other people because things happen in, in different times. You know, the time that I was at uh, Newcastle with uh, Kevin was a great era of football and the sort of football that probably Manchester City are playing now. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we were successful because we weren't. But in terms of entertainment, it was something that the, the Geordie fans absolutely adored. And of course, same thing happened a little bit in the championship season at uh, City. But what, what Pep's done uh, since he's taken over the club, there's absolutely no doubt about it. He's taken the level of football to a different level altogether. You know, the standard of football to a different level altogether. Um, I think, obviously, the fact that he's probably experienced uh, his time in Spain at Barcelona and then Bayern Munich has prepared him for... Um, this spell that he's having now at Manchester City. And of course, like all coaches, you need to have um, good players to, uh, to to work with. And he has got some good players. He's got more than good players. He's got great players. Um, but at the same time, he knows how to manage them, which is, I think, uh, a great thing. You know, some people, when they get, uh, you know, that quality of player around them and they've all got egos and they all want to play... Um, he, he doesn't seem to have too many problems in terms of his man, man management skills and stuff like that. You never hear of anybody at City having a fallout with, with Pep Guardiola, like you might hear of somebody having a fallout with Jose Mourinho or, or somebody else, you know. So, um, no, I think he's, he's been fantastic for the English game, uh, coming in and doing what he's done at City. 
and of course, he's done it at a time as well when you know Liverpool have sort of under Klopp have been outstanding as well, and to 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 regularly finish above them, uh, considering what obviously Liverpool have done as well, then then it's fantastic. And I know that Arsenal haven't been quite as good other than this season. Tottenham probably have should should have done better. Um, Chelsea have fallen away this season. Um, but again, Chelsea up to this scene have been a very, very strong team themselves, you know, and they'd be one of the teams that uh, people would be looking at and saying, yeah, they're, this season they've got a chance at the title sort of thing, you know. And to regularly finish above all those great teams um, is a fantastic achievement. And I think that's down to his man management skills and obviously having uh, some of the best players um you know, at his disposal, but also giving those players the freedom to play um, and 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 enjoy the football and and obviously produce the sort of results and performances that that you know you the punters like to see. I've been uh, I write a weekly uh, newspaper column which uh, goes in a couple of local papers and goes online. Questmedia.co.uk, by the way, if you want to find the the columns that I write and one of the re, the column the column I've been writing today which hasn't been published yet is almost in response to what is happening at the moment inevitably because City is successful and could not saying they will but could win the treble this season uh, you do start to see one or two people writing pieces uh, which are bringing in the sort of you know uh petrol money, the whitewash, the sports washing and all the rest of it and suggesting that the reason why City is successful is purely down to money. Um, I have a read at the article, but basically, I don't know if you, any of you saw it, but there was a, a sort of drama documentary on Netflix about three years ago, I think it was now, which is about the start of football in the 19th century now. And this is actually quite relevant to you, Derek, um, how well, Darwin... <laughs> well, no, not because no, no, not because you were there, but because given given your connection with Blackburn and where you're from and everything like that, um, the old Etonians, you were the sort of perennial winners of the FA Cup, and Darwin FC came along and threatened to spoil the party a little bit, and uh, and the you know the establishment tried to prevent them from doing that, and then Blackburn came along and managed to persuade through the mill owners to get the best player at Darwin FC to sign for them. And Blackburn had a series and I think they won six FA Cups in nine years. And, you know, and you, you think, you know what, football really hasn't changed. Foot, professional football, of course, is always about the money. You've got to have the money. But yeah. enough credit isn't given now to what Pep Guardiola is doing because you can, you, Chelsea, Liverpool, United, lots of clubs have spent lots of money, maybe even more money than City and haven't had the success and the, playing the beautiful football that City are playing and it, it it annoys me that people can't deal with reality you know the, 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 it is who spends the most who gets to the top of the pile to a point but after that you have to be good you have to be brilliant and I, I don't know whether it's something that bothers you Louise you're a journalist now you, you're writing all the time you, you're inside the head of the way journalism works, you, you can predict that this sort of negativity is going to come along now. And you have, I feel I have to write something in response. How, how do you feel? 
I feel exactly the same. Uh, I know you, you pro we all probably come across as biased because we're City fans. So we're obviously going to be on, on the, the good side, of, on that side of things. But um, I couldn't agree with you more. I was only explaining this to a friend about a week ago, how, you know, anybody can have all this money and, and anybody can go out and buy players and, you know, buy the best players in the world and they still may not be winning they you know they still can't win everything and this goes to show in pretty much any sport around the world too you know even if you look at basketball in the states and you know hockey in Canada ice hockey um you know you're going to be looking at leagues full of absolute elite athletes including Formula One that I'm involved in um you know you have Mercedes one of the top teams in the absolute world regarding motor racing they have all the money that they need they still haven't been champions the last couple of, you know because they can't put it together there's something missing there's, a, there's key elements missing at the moment and they've just brought one of their very very sort of key players that help them to achieve those championships who stepped away a little bit they've actually brought him back in uh this season to try and turn things around so it's not just football it's not just manchester city you know that are, that are succeeding um, it is in Formula One, it's in basketball, it's in ice hockey, it's in all the others as well. And um, I'm going to defend our club to the hilt, of course I am. But um, I cannot be more amazed by the talents of Pep Guardiola. And from the player that he was, um, you know, he, he he wasn't one of the best players on the absolute planet. Uh, he certainly wasn't the worst. You know, he was probably sort of a little bit sort of maybe in the 70, 80% of, of great players. But um, what he's done with his mind and his brain, you know, how he's read the game, interpreted the game, got to understand players, got to understand positions. And he understands players so much that that, I think, is the secret to his success. There's no secret to success in, in necessarily putting strategies together on the pitch. There's keys to success in, in the players and in that dressing room. And I think that he's planted a, a little seed um, just the other day when you were talking about him, talking about um, him dying and people moving on, you know, which is quite funny. I watched it myself. But he also did a, another one on Gundogan, whose contract is coming up. And, you know, the speculation at the moment, he could be going to Barcelona, you know, who knows? Uh, you know, his agent's been saying where he plays next season is still open. And Pep very cleverly has said publicly how much he adores and he said I adore him I love him I am married but I adore him um he you know he's such an intelligent player which he is we know this we knew this when he first kicked the ball on that pitch um you know and he said and he's quiet man but when he talks people listen because it's important and he's already trying to sign that contract with Gundogan for the future I believe you're right, he wanted to marry uh, Ilkay Gundogan, but I'd have to say that even though I'm married, uh, I'd be first in the queue to marry Pep if ever uh, he goes down <laughs> that route. Um, uh, I know Derek's got to go in a, in a few minutes, so I'm going to give the other three of you now a chance to, if you've got a question and you want to ask Derek, get his opinion on something, um, give me a wave, because obviously we record all this on, uh, on Zoom, so uh, the first one to do that was Louisa, so fire away, ask your question, Louisa. Well, mine will be quick because it's not um, officially MCFC or, or Blackburn or anybody. Mine's just a bit of fun. Uh, Derek, you spent 
pretty much all your career within football. So what would you have done with your life and your career had you not been a player? Oh, that is a very, very good question and one that's not easy to answer. I don't know. Uh, I, when I was uh, at school, uh, I was obviously working hard to do my exams, which I wasn't particularly good at and stuff like that. But um, I'd applied to go into a drawing office. My dad was a builder and then I applied, he, he knew an architect and I was going to, you know, go down that route and train up to be like, a, like an architect or, or, of some sort. Um, but fortunately for me, um, I got presented with a, a contract by Blackburn Rovers to join them as an apprentice. And so all that sort of pre-planning of which, which step I would take or where I would go in terms of a career was taken away from me by the fact that Blackburn offered me a, um, an apprenticeship at, uh, at Ewood Park in 1969, I think it was. Wow. Well, what a great life and career you've had, Derek. Um, Toby, Steve, you got a question? Just the, the the obvious one now, Derek, is it, are you going early because Blackburn are on selling now? No, they've just finished. <laughs> <laughs> Have they finished? Yeah, they finished. <laughs> what a piece there. Uh, well, let, let, me, let me finish off by, by asking you what you, you think City can achieve then as we stand here in this position where the top of the table with a game in hand in the Premier League, Real Madrid over two legs in the semi-final of the Champions League with then, if they get through that, one of the Milan teams in the final in Istanbul and Manchester United at Wembley in the FA Cup final. Is this going to be a treble season? I know some people don't want to talk about it, City fans. They don't want to tempt fate. I can ask you though, can't I? I think there is a distinct possibility that they will win the treble. I do. I think, uh, you know, that uh, the ball's pretty much rolling now in terms of the league. I think it'll be very difficult for Arsenal to claw it back. I think they came through one of the very difficult games that they had left on Sunday when they played against Fulham. I always thought that was going to be a difficult game. Fulham have been good at home this season. They came through it, scored a fantastic goal with the ladder, uh, goal from Alvarez. Um, and I think this season, there's a week, isn't there, between the cup final and then the Champions League final. So I, I, don't, I don't think the schedule will, will stand in the way. I think they're in such a good, sweet spot at the moment. I can only see them going from strength to strength. Now, if they got two or three injuries and stuff like that, then, of course, to the likes of De Bruyne or to, well, Haaland or somebody like that, that would affect the chances. Of course it would. But um, it's amazing when you're playing in winning teams, you don't get too many injured players. That's for sure. They're busting a gut to be out on that football pitch every week and be ready to play when they're asked to play. And of course, they've got some outstanding players on the bench as well. So I, I can I can see them having a genuine opportunity to win the treble. And if they do that, it's a fantastic achievement, particularly with the way the season's been this season with the break in between as well and the World Cup and stuff like that and all the extra games that players, you know, at the top level have played. I know that Harlem didn't go, but the majority of the other players will have gone and played football. But no, um, you've got some fantastic weeks football left in front of you. And 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 I think I think certainly it's 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 a possibility, certainly. 
Derek, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Um, with your permission, I'll invite you again at some point in the future. But uh, it's been absolutely terrific to have you on. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, girls and boys. Thank you very much. Thank you. And good luck for the rest of the season. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Right. So that's that's where um, I will say goodbye to Derek. Uh, but what we will do is we'll continue on now uh, with the the fans because this is a different sort of uh, you know uh, way of moving forward because it would have been a bit unfair anyway as it happens Derek had to go but um, it would be a bit fair to put these questions to him but we've got Toby we've got Steve we've got Louisa um, all who consume football slightly different Toby at the moment I know he's on a, a runner going to every game home and away all over Europe the whole lot um, Steve is is like me he's, he's, he's a you know an old sod who's been going watching football <laughs> since Adam was a lad um, and obviously, you know, diehard blue. Louisa these days is in a different world some of the time, watching Formula One. I actually love Formula One myself anyway, and consumes, and this is not a criticism, but consumes a lot of the football on television and, and in different ways like that. So we've got a nice little, and we've got different ages here as well. So next week, potentially, I was, con just, to, just to put this into perspective, I was contacted by somebody from the 1894 group and asked to talk about the design of the new North Stand and apparently on Blue Moon Forum and different places like that, there was quite a lot of, um, I think it's the way it was described to me was quite a lot of anger and upset about the new design of the, the North Stand. So I've, I've suggested that maybe we can do something on that on the next podcast. Um, I've also reached out to Danny Wilson, who's very senior at City who a lot of people might know his name, and actually saw him yesterday in the boardroom when I was there at Fulham because I was invited in there by Alistair McIntosh, the former CEO of City. Watch the vlog, by the way, if you've not seen it, and you get a little insight on what it's like in, in the, the cottage at Craven Cottage. And, and, and Danny says that there will be conversations with the 1894 group and City Matters. We have Mark Todd, of course, on this podcast quite regularly about the concerns that they have regarding the stand uh, he admitted yesterday then it, it wasn't a good look to put the season ticket prices up and I know there have been some criticisms too about the way that tickets for the home leg against Real Madrid have been have been sold so there's various different things that possibly we'll go into more depth on next week but let's start with Steve because I know that you're you know you're an old school fan who has strong feelings about all sorts of things I don't know how you're aware you are of the the design of the north stand issue let me explain it a little bit um, when uh, the the thing was put in the porter cabin at the stadium and when it was initially sort of released, it was suggested that they might try and create virtually a Tottenham-style wall of seats, a bit like the yellow wall at Dortmund, and that when finally more detail was shown, and according to Danny Wilson, this is not, conf this is not definite yet, but there is a little section of about 400 seats right on the front edge of the second tier up, because there'll be three eventually, if you think about it, which will be effect a bit like a new tunnel club, but certainly a big section of corporates. And I know that City fans weren't keen on having a big corporate section in the middle of what they wanted to be a big bank of City fans. So that's one issue. Season ticket prices going up is number two. And the way that um, Real Madrid tickets were, were distributed or available for sale. What are your views on all those things, Steve? Um... Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't realise about the hospitality bit in the new stand, but obviously, as a club, 
going forward, if there is a chance of putting more hospitality in, they're gonna they're gonna take it, aren't they? Let's face it. We, as much as we don't like it or whatever, money talks, and if and, and the hospitality people pay a lot more than we do in our normal seats. So, you know, I understand maybe putting that in. If we could have done without it, better. And I understand. I my my thoughts with it. They're going to keep the tier one shall we call it, and then build the big, the bigger one above it. So, uh, you know, which which sounds a good idea because everybody looks at Tottenham and thinks, well, that looks good, and Dortmund, you know, they do there, don't they? Uh, so, yeah, I've, 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 without seeing the final plans, I'd probably reserve a bit of judgment and say, if we can keep hospitality out of it, all the better. Uh, season ticket prices, a little bit disappointing. Uh, the, football that we're watching the entertainment that we get is absolute top you know it's top quality but mine's gone up sort of 10 percent, and i thought uh, you know I, I look at the inflation at 10 percent, and i think you know city have gone on that and, and gone with 10 percent. and i think it's a bit of an excuse really using inflation a bit like People who are asking for pay rises and what have you are using ten percent as a as an as an excuse because we know that inflation probably about three percent at the end of the year and where does it end for City because you know we do we do have an increase every year normally about twenty twenty five quid or something but you know it it can't keep going up and up and up so I'd, I'd be a little bit wary of that and. And just to back you up there with Danny Wilson. Danny Wilson's an absolutely fantastic fella. Uh, re- helps as many City fans as he can. He's he's polite. He, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's really a great guy. And obviously, it's not his fault that the prices are going up. So it's not a criticism of him, obviously. But disappointed. Disappointed that, you know, we. I feel as though we could... Uh, I, I think there's a drive in the club to be the number one richest club in the world as well as the best football team as well and we, they look at driving that forward I think we, we could have done with a price freeze actually and still made lots and lots of money uh, you know that's 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 how I've, I'm disapp- disappointed um, as I'm on the cup scheme the Real Madrid didn't affect me as such but I felt sorry for people that have you know they can't afford season tickets they can't afford to be on a cup scheme which is understandable in this day and age. But if they've been to five Champions League games previously, they really should have been like a stepping stone of, you know, season ticket holders got a couple of days, didn't they, if they're not on the Cup scheme to buy their ticket, which is great. Uh, And then it should have gone, if you've been to five, you've been to four, you've been to three. And I was a little bit disappointed to hear that uh, you could still join the membership scheme up till the day before, I believe, and then... It's you know if you get lucky in the, on the day at ten o'clock on Friday morning, you could have a ticket and all join the day before. You know we we still need to reward loyalty. I think. Uh, one what I would say about just just to introduce this as the other side of the debate because I've heard a lot of people. There are some people. I mean, on the way down to Fulham, I talked to a few fans who said. Um, pretty much as you, you've said, Steve, the value for money is great. You know, it, it might only work out at one or two pounds more per ticket per season. And why should I complain? The other side of that argument is we're in a cost of living crisis, um, you know, and, and that whilst 
you know, it's sort of an I'm all right, Jack sort of mentality of I can manage it. So why is it a problem? But there are lots of people out there who I meet all the time who are struggling like mad just to pay their yeah. bills and to pay their electricity and put food on the table. And if you've got a family and you, you're taking your family or, you know, you, you're paying for more than one person, if you're the only um, person in the household is bringing money in, then that becomes more and more difficult. And I did notice a story this week, I think it's Fortuna Dusseldorf in Germany, who've said that they're going to introduce um, actually free tickets for people and they hope within five years to allow every fan to actually watch their team for free. And the argument is that the money that most of the money that comes into the clubs are from television rights, from sponsorship and lots of other ways. And that actually the income from uh, tickets as a bit, I suppose, was proven during the pandemic when games were played behind closed doors, that actually the money coming in through the turnstiles, as it were, is a very small percentage. And of course, in City's case, they just announced a three hundred million pound new stand. Yet they're, they're putting one or two pounds a ticket on a, uh, you know. And you think, why have you done that? You know, wouldn't it be a great PR stunt at the very, very least to say we're going to freeze it? You know, even if you don't want to give them away free, and you don't want to reduce it, at least do something that shows that you are, have some empathy and understand. But I can see both sides of it, and I can see Toby is simmering. Uh, now, whether that's positive or <laughs> negative, I'm not quite sure. So, Toby, the floor is yours. Tell us what you think. Um, look, I, I think I've been very vocal in the past about the fact that the football is the football is for fans. Um, you know, we, I, I think it's wrong that, that, that the prices are being put up. They're going to have their reasons for it. They're going to have their explanations for it, how much you want to believe. And that's up to you. But, I mean, um, you know, we look at, let's look at two years' time when we're going to have a new Champions League format and we're going to be having five, six away Premier League, oh, sorry, away um, European games by, by December. And instantly there, you're taking the football away from the fans because you're effectively making them pay more. God knows where the world and where the country and where the economy and where everything's going to be by then. We have no idea. Um so you're already taking it away there. And now the season ticket prices are going up. There just seems to be no end to it. You know, City can't help that. You know, that that Champions League format, that's done by UEFA. They can't help that. That's not their problem. But, you know, as you said, um, Ian, you know, the, the, the money they bring in based on um, based on turnstiles and based on the people is, is a fraction of what they make on the TV costs. And, and you know, there's talk of, of there being potentially wiped out of, of Sky and BT and going to, I, I don't know, I think um, Days End or like there's some there's some new uh, some new bidders basically for it. And, you know, the Disney three have been mentioned, Disney, yeah, I think. Yeah. The 3pm blackout to be knocked out, which effectively means that there's going to be more on TV, which means there's going to be more money coming in. So it just confuses me as to why the ticket prices need to go up. Um you know what, Toby? Just, just, just sorry to interrupt you, but when t Premier League started back in the nineties, uh, and Brian Clough was the manager of uh, Nottingham Forest at the time, um, and I don't know why that sticks in my mind because it wasn't. I'm not going to refer to what he said, but there was a lot of talk at the time of uh, it'll mean when it's on, once it's on television and everybody's paying for it that prices will be slashed. Yeah. And we'll be going in a lot cheaper. That I absolutely remember that being the case. I, I don't. And yet, I know that's why I'm telling you. That's, that's, I'm educating you, Toby. So, uh, and, and yet, here we are in the modern world where 
you know, I'm sure somebody can probably produce a piece of paper that says, you know, compared to the, what a gallon of petrol was and how much, mm. uh, you know, a bottle of milk was and a loaf of bread. Perhaps football hasn't gone up as much, I don't know. But it feels to me a lot more expensive and a lot more exclusive, you know, mm. a, lot, a lot less uh, so-called working class people now can afford to go to football quite as much because football's gone beyond it. And it's not worked out that, that way. It's worked out that, that it's now everything's aimed at the maximum profit. So I'll just mm. chuck that in. But Toby, if you want to finish what you're saying. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I was just going to come on to the um, to the to the North Stands and to the hospitality side of things. I think, you know, th there's two sides to this. I think um, that's for me, that's where City will feel like they make their money. Um, so why they're raising the 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 not the, the season ticket prices um you know for, for for fans in like the south stand and things like that i have absolutely no idea um, i should say by the way i'm gonna keep interrupting you i'm sorry but what i would say is that perhaps there wouldn't be i'm i'm second guessing what 1894 and these other groups are thinking at the moment yeah. to be honest but if the corporate hospitality wasn't right in the middle of that stand oh well that's what and I was it was say. at the side somewhere or whatever everybody accepts that corporate hospitality is, is part of the way that football is going but to mm. have it right in the middle of that bank of what would be noise and 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 the, the yeah. most passionate fans that's i think what they're objecting to it's shocking i i can i completely agree with that with that with their um, objection that wall for me I, as soon as i saw that i looked at it and went that's a that's a tottenham that's a that's a um that's a a dortmund um i mean the difference with that one and the, you know what our one is going to be and tottenham's one is uh, we'll actually have a trophy to hold in front of it um <laughs> but um no either way that is that's for the fans that that, that they, they instantly you can see that is to create the atmosphere and that's what they've done it for. So it just, it, it, it's almost, it was my naive and blindsidedness to put a corporate section in the middle of that. It, it confuses the hell out of me. Um, the other thing I, I was actually going to mention as well is, is I think that there's a huge onus in, in, in that they, they want to create the atmosphere of the stadium. You look at, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast about Wednesday, as that was one of the best atmospheres I've witnessed. Um, so why put the season ticket prices up? You're effectively saying to people, right, you're, you know, people who can't afford it, they're going to have to stop paying for the season tickets. You know, so you get more people in. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I want to, I want to say the wrong thing here, but you want to encourage people to buy the season ticket so we have that atmosphere because that that's what the stadium's for you want that great big wall where the atmosphere is coming from so I, I it just really confused me the justification behind raising the season ticket price i'd li i'd like to hear it from someone who was making those decisions we won't ever but i'd like to hear it from someone who made that who was involved in making that decision in the decision making process this conversation will be a lot more in depth next week i think because i've asked um mark from City Matters to come on, somebody from 1894. When I spoke to Danny Wilson, I said, you're perfectly happy to come on here. I'll put a representative up from the club. Um, he said, suggested that because the conversations were still going on with 1894 and City Matters, and might not actually happen until after the podcast, that maybe there's not much point in him or somebody like that coming on. But the invitation is there. He and others can come on and debate it. That They might prefer to debate it in private, I guess that might be the conclusion rather than doing it in this public forum where everybody can hear. But I, 
I value transparency and hearing what people have got to say. So I know Steve wants to come in again, but I'm going to say no, Steve, and I'm going to say the same to Toby, <laughs> because I'm going to leave the last word to Louisa and, and promise that, um, you know, we'll see where we are next week. Uh, but that might be might well be the debate we do next week. I know you don't go to as many games, Louisa, but you know what the issues are. Um, just give us your views. Uh, yeah, of course, I do know what the issues are, and and I'm on the issue of of po you know I'm on the side of poverty. Um, you know, I mean, for for my personal circumstances with with being disabled, and um, you know, I'm, I'm making a big fight and a big comeback, obviously, um, to try and get back to a normal life. But there are many people that are city fans that are in my boat and my position. Um, Congratulations, by the way, for for running the London Marathon, and have you still got a? <laughs> Uh, a giving page or something that people can, can contribute to oh i actually have yeah i'm still fundraising i still have a target to achieve yes um tell so us it, about it then okay well it's under my name louise hyphen anne wilshaw um so please look me up and please just read a little bit of my story there to explain when you know i recently only sort of five years ago became disabled and uh explains why and the fight back that i've made because as you know ian you know five years ago i spent a year in bed i was you know accident bit of paralysis going on surgery um and i've now been left with chronic conditions from that so i've been a massive fight of my life to to come back and you know last year I did a huge walk but for, for, for no charity for no reason just for me just for physical health and mental health I did a 900k walk over um, six weeks in northern Spain and got me fit enough got my lower half fit enough and I thought you know what if there's ever time I'm going to run a marathon it is now or never and I will say run a marathon I mean participate in a marathon because I walked probably most of it so yes London Marathon last Sunday uh, it's been a dream of mine since I was a lot younger to ever run a London marathon and run around Greenwich the Cutty Sack over Tower Bridge you know Canary Wharf forget that I wish I'd changed the course that was the most depressing time of my life running around there coming back along that river you know and actually being hurting uh my issues kicking in getting quite fatigued and I actually ran for action for ME because that's one of the conditions that I have ME which is chronic fatigue um, and you know what? And I thought, however much, however tired I am, however much I'm hurting, I'm, I'm not going to stop this. I'm not going to quit. I can actually, I can do this. I can finish this. Um, and I did. And it was glorious by the time I was finishing. The sun was shining, you know, running around Big Ben um, and cross the finish line. And I, I, it's over there. I can't grab it yet to, to show you, but I've got a fantastic medal as well. And yes, I am fundraising for Action Fight ME. So, um, uh, you can find my social media as well, which is Road to F1 or LA Wheelshaw's Road to F1. Got my links there too. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for my push and my promo. Um, no you know, so give us your final thoughts on, on the issues we've been talking about. What well done, terrific <laughs> effort. Tell us your final thoughts, and that will bring at this week's podcast to a conclusion. Well, my final thoughts are on our team, you know, 
lose, win, draw, be terrible, be great. It is Manchester City. And for those that, that are, are born here that are fans because of that reason, then, you know, we, we suffer together, but we also celebrate together. And whether we lose every single game for the rest of the season and come away with nothing, or whether we win every single game and we come away with that treble, we're, we're just Manchester City. We're a, we have a fantastic city anyway in Manchester. Fantastic people people that come here from the outside feel at home when they come here and you know it, it's everybody's home if you come to Manchester you are our family and this team is our family Pep Guardiola is our family and uh, and I love this city and I love our city well said you need to move into inspirational speaking I think Louisa <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks very much to Howard Solicitors for sponsoring this podcast they have offices throughout Greater Manchester and Cheshire. They specialise in areas of law that affect the individual. So it's likely that if you need some help or guidance, then they'll have somebody to help you. 0161 872 law at howardsolicitors.com or visit the website howardsolicitors.com. Big thanks to Derek Fazakali for joining us before, for Toby, Steve and Louisa for giving their views on the football um, and, of course, what's happening off it as well. We'll see what happens next week. Um, um, Danny Wilson says he listens to the podcast every week anyway, so he knows what we've been talking about. He knows what we've said, uh, and we'll maybe take on the conversation a little bit more next week. Uh, but a big week to come, West Ham at home on Wednesday, uh, followed by Leeds next weekend. Uh, of course, then it's off to Madrid, so there's uh, some big games to come, and, uh, and I will be there. Hopefully, um, God willing, uh, all those games, bringing you vlogs and doing the podcast, of course, again next week. So thanks very much for listening. Spread the word. And uh, this is the best week to say this, isn't it? When you've just beaten Arsenal and you've gone top of the league and you've got all that to come. Isn't it great being a blue?